Would you give your mum, dad, aunt or that uncle who hugged your partner a little too long free access to your phone? Oh no! Oh my god, it's, it's a really long video! Ew! In Dave's brand new YouTube original, Get Off My Phone, we've got six comedians to give their phones over to a relative with total freedom to read messages, DMs, photos and browser history. What's your social history? Sorry? What to do? Tips for relief. The rules are simple. Their relative can read anything they want and even make calls from the comedian's phone. What is this? What is I know what this one is. That, that looks really okay. bad. Starring Tanya Moore, Anya Magliano, Finlay Christie, Travis J with his mum Angie Lamar, Hayley Morris, Grace Campbell and dad Alistair Campbell. Slightly sexually compromising <laughs> Divulging their deepest digital secrets. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Get off my phone. A Dave YouTube original. Available now on Dave's YouTube channel. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Dave original podcast. This podcast contains bad language and references to drugs, but obviously we don't encourage either. Jordan Brooks. Look at what you've done. I'm Jordan Brooks. I won an award in 2019 that used to be called the Perrier. Uh, it's now sponsored by Dave, the channel that's bringing you this podcast, but won't put me in anything else for some reason. My guest this time is Marcus Brigstock. He's a huge comedy force. He's a regular on Radio 4 and TV on shows like Have I Got News For You, QI and Argumental. Here, we talked about his turbulent teenage life. I went to another school and I was kicked out of there as well. His now decades-long sobriety. And so I've actually never had a legal drink in my life. And the closest he came to a very public relapse. Marcus Brookstock. Jordan Brooks. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, man. Right, let's talk about how you came to be in this life. Talk me through the first 48 hours of your life on this earth. I took a long time to 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 make, as as you might expect. Mm. Um, having seen me, you're like that's that's not nine months worth of gestation. <laughs> there, that's that is a that is a quality item. That's yeah, that's a ten and a half. I was closing in on on ten months when eventually someone suggested to my mother that I, it was about time I came out. You're in the womb for ten months. What what was going yeah. on there? What were you thinking? Well, I think I think initially I, I was 
was just a bit hesitant to come out. I don't know how well you know Guildford. <clears throat> uh, my mother didn't spend all of the 10 months just waiting in Guildford in case I occurred. Uh, I would say the next really significant thing that happened for me in Guildford, um, and bless them, they've still got it, was the removal of my foreskin. <laughs> what, all in the same day? Pushed out into an open pair of scissors? No, no, they did. It was, it was a while later. Not like, you know when some guys end up having to have that done as an adult? Um, I didn't have that mercifully. I was still very young, and I don't. Right. I don't have very clear memories of it. Mine was much more of, uh, as far as I know, a medical procedure. Right. Certainly, um, God, we've gone to my penis quicker than I feared. To be honest, it's later than I was hoping. When I look at my penis, I've 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 got used to it over mm. time, but I don't look and think, oh hell's bells, who's done that? I joined a new dentist, and I forgot how much dentists slag off the pre- your previous dentist. Like yeah. every new dentist will look at my teeth and go, "Oh no, 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 no." Yeah, who's done this? Do you do you ever show your foreskin to a doctor who looks at it and goes, "What? What's happened there, son?" Yeah, like yeah, in the way that sort of builders work, they go, <laughs> "Well, yeah. no, nah, it's fine if it works, but I wouldn't have done it like that." Mostly, I've not spent a great deal of time at the doctors with any sort of um, junk related. I, I don't know if we can step down from the language we've already used, but sure. No, yeah, we're there. Yeah. Let's generalise it now. There. I did genuinely once ask a doctor if my testicles were unusually small. Oh, bless you. Um, I was having a, a, a an inspection, and I think I'd just spent a bit of time feeling a bit paranoid that I had... Uh, small testicles and mm. uh, you know they're they're a functional thing rather than a sort of you don't you know some blokes are quite proud of the size of their knob for example but you very rarely uh have people brag about testicular um size you'd or- usually sort of brag about what um metal your balls were made out of You'd sort of go, he's got balls <laughs> exactly. of steel or... No one's expanded on balls of steel, really, have they? They haven't even no. mentioned whether or not they're galvanised. <laughs> <laughs> but the doctor was, he was very reassuring. So what, you went to the doctors and you went... I was already there. You were, I was already there. You were, yeah, already there. Also, was, not... you were on the way out and you went, oh, one more thing. You, you columboed back into the room with your balls. Yeah, um, just one more thing. <laughs> These nuts, do they seem small? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I was already there and already um, already pants and trousers down. Right. It wasn't like I'd gone in for a, you know, a, a tennis elbow or something and gone, actually, while we're at it, speaking of tennis, are these normal balls? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just said, I, I don't know, mate. They, they seem unusually small to me. And he said, no. He said, no, they're not. It's it's awful, isn't it? You know the the way that porn has has shaped our expectations of what the human body should should be. You know, it's it's Absolutely. it's fascinating to hear to hear someone be so vulnerable about measuring up to porn star balls. You know, we've all watched a bit of porn in our time and then stuck a ruler mm. next to our penis, but very rarely yeah. as someone as someone wrapped tape measure around their testicles. Yes, exactly. Or. Or you know, filled um, a cup and hold that over a over a bowl, and immerse to see to check displacement. So mm. it, it it's not just something you can do with a with a tape measure. But and yeah. the more I say that, the more it sounds like I've definitely done that. And actually, I haven't. <laughs> well, it's just so specific, you know. <laughs> I wish I could remember a thing that I have 
checked the displacement mm. of uh, in that way, but I can't. So it, now it sounds even more like that's a thing I've done. But Oh, you definitely have. I definitely haven't. Porn and body image stuff, it's just ruined everything because I'm very, very hairy. To shave your body frequently and stuff then, is it? I've never got involved in that. Oh? Never got involved in okay. it. I've got a very hairy back. Right. Very, very hairy back. And... Um, I've always th- thought with, you know, any partners or wives or anything that that is something they're either on board with or they're, it, it's not going to work out. Yeah, you're on a first date and you're like, look, before I sit down, you should know, no foreskin, small balls, and from behind, I look like a werewolf halfway through transition. Incredibly hairy back. I had my shoulder partly waxed for um, uh, for a telly thing I was doing. Um it was the waxing being filmed rather than I needed to wax my one shoulder for a telly job. Oh, okay. It was like Richard Blackwood getting an enema on Channel 5. It may have been the same show. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd so forgotten that he um, that he got an enema on Channel 5. I went with Phil Jupitus to have colonic irrigation on ra- for Radio 4. Mm. Um that was incredible. We broadcast it at 6.30 on Radio 4. Did you Good actually <laughs> broadcast the actual thing or did you have a Foley artist replicating? There wasn't a great deal you could hear. I had the um, colonic rinse too. Was it good? Well, good's hard to answer, isn't it, in this instance. One thing they did say is afterwards, when you go and sit on the can for a while, when you think you're done, stay put. <laughs> stay right. put. Because you may not be done and you don't want to like walk out the building and come off the last step and go, I was not finished there. So I stayed put long enough for them to come and bang on the door and ask if everything was okay. And I was like, I can't, I cannot define what okay is for you now. I've had norovirus a couple of times. Mm. I've travelled in Southeast Asia and been reckless with ice and salad. But this is, this is something else. Is it to the point where you worry that you're going to start losing parts of your body that shouldn't that's exactly what you worry about yeah but she did confirm immediately because it was question one obviously Mm. uh that the weirdest thing that she'd ever retrieved was a toy soldier uh, swallowed as a kid and and came out in the colonic so Uh, came out of an adult yeah i guess like rather like those japanese snipers who never found out the war was over just stayed put put. (laughs) and then and then years later out he came so if he hadn't had a, a colonic irrigation it would it would have stayed in there presumably until he until he yeah. died he would have been buried with it yeah i wonder i mean everyone says they've got a novel in them maybe i literally maybe some of us literally have <laughs> <laughs> a whole <laughs> library i always knew i had a novel in me yeah. and i had much of it unreadable sadly. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about school what were you like at school well uh i was expelled a lot really yeah so i think that that probably means it didn't go as expected. I think I had a feeling it might go that way from, from early doors, you know. What happened? Well, when I was very young, when I was six, I guess, there was a local school that was girls only, and I went to that. I was the only boy. for Only for a term. They were, they were bringing boys in, but I was the first one in. <laughs> what? And, you were um, the acid test boy? Yeah, yeah, which was bad news because... I was already quite up for a laugh mm. and um, I, my mother got a, phone, got a phone call from the head of the school who was in tears 
And my mother said, what on earth has happened? And she said, in all my years of being a head teacher, I've never had to strike a child, but I have had to strike Marcus. And then I went to a school um, called St Edmunds, where I was not the only boy. Uh, In fact, it was only boys there. But I did not like football. Right. I didn't like it at all. And I'll be honest with you, I still don't care for it. Anyway, I burnt down the goalposts at one end of the football pitch. What uh, is happening? Because what? I reasoned... How did you burn down steel posts? No, 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 wood. We're talking seven, this 1970s here. Wooden posts. Uh, Wooden posts. Do you remember what you were thinking when you did it? I do, because I didn't like football, and I thought, you know what? With posts at one end, they'll only need half the number of players. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> <laughs> Rather so than just thought, decline to play football, come on. I am gonna, I am gonna yeah. fundamentally dismantle the FA, yeah, so that football doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, let's rig the game here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with one set of posts, they're only going to need one team. <laughs> so, uh, so, <laughs> so I took one set down. I started being a fat boy when I was about eight, mm. and uh, then I was very, very fat until I was seventeen, oh, and then. You. True story, I more than halved my body weight in seven months. What? Um, Yeah, yeah. In fact, I went from 24 stone to 11 stone in just over seven months. So I lost, I'm guessing, I lost 13 stone, so I'm guessing I lost roughly what you weigh. I lost you in just over half a year. It sounds like a lot of my relationships, actually. (laughs) That sounds bonkers. It was a mad time. Was that the first time you had a colonic irrigation? (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine if they went, well, uh, not only is is this a record for this colonic salon, but we're we're phoning Norris McWhirter because we think this is a world record. (laughs) We don't think any... We don't think anyone has passed 13 stone in a single shitting. Um, so <laughs> I went from 24 stone to 11 stone. And, and what happened afterwards was, A, obviously my body was very new to me and very exciting, but also it was a very funny sort of shape. My legs were still massive mm. from all the muscle I'd had to have to, from carrying around that much weight. And so they took up a lot of blood, which the rest of my body then didn't have. Yeah. So often I would run up flights of stairs, get to the top and just keel over because there wasn't enough head blood oh my God. Um, to go around. And people would come up and go, shit, are you all right? And I'd be like, yeah, mate, I'm 11 stone. <laughs> well, thank God you were circumcised because then that's one less part of your body to, to put blood to. I went to another school and I was kicked out of there as well. So this was a that was a, a boarding school and one weekend I led an expedition out of the school. We went on an adventure and the adventure we went on was pretty normal for kids. It involved finding somewhere that would sell sweets and fizzy drinks to us, mm-hmm. uh, which I successfully found. Uh, but it did involve crossing six lanes of a dual carriageway. But to my credit, uh, everyone came back unscathed. And I was quite fat by then, so, you know, the cars could certainly see me or the drivers could see me. You make it sound like like a sort of chapter from a Famous Five novel. Were you just running in single file across this six-lane carriageway? But Yeah, we did. We, We had to... You know, a dual carriageway, as you know, is separated by a central central reservation. Mm. So we sort of scarpered to there and then... Had a little regroup and made it over the next three, the next three lanes, and then made it back again. So 
absolutely no harm done. <laughs> I suppose what the school looked at when they expelled me was the potential for harm. And I think they, I think yeah. they were right. Why were you ex- excluded? It was felt, uh, and, and they were right, that the expedition had been led <laughs> by really one person, and that person was me. <laughs> And then I went to another one. And then it was a bit more normal because I was a teenager. And there I was expelled for smoking, drinking and shoplifting. That seems more linear to me. That seems more obvious. The other stuff sounds like something that a child from a Jacqueline Wilson novel would would get expelled for. The other stuff is what we might call scrapes. Yeah. Whereas smoking, drinking and shoplifting is what I call still hijinks. Um, (laughs) But... um, (laughs) Many years later, I hosted the British Independent Shopkeepers Awards. And I did, as part of my comedy set for it, a lot of stuff about shoplifting. And it was getting really good laughs, you know, and mm. and, uh, and the sort of things that are easy to steal and, and blah, blah, blah. And then as part of the joke, I was like, and if you want to know where I've researched this, uh, it was over an 18-month period at the Londis in Bruton and a... <laughs> A bloke uh, stood up and went, that's my bloody shop. <laughs> and, uh, and genuinely, genuinely, uh, he, was, he was in the room and I was able not only to apologise to him, but, but make some financial amends. So how many times did you get expelled from school? Three times. Three times. There were yeah. schools that some kids were sent to who normal schools wouldn't take them. Um, and they existed. There weren't very many of them, but there were a few. And I ended up in in one of them where, you know, as a, a posh boy from a very privileged background who'd already been at boarding school, the problems that I had with addiction were very small compared to, you know, the heartbreaking stories all around me of the other people who were in that school. Did you at that point, did you think, all right, this is it. I've got to I've got to sort my life out. No, I didn't. I absolutely <laughs> didn't. I had none of the mecha. no. I had none of the mechanisms by which yeah. I could make that happen. Yeah, just when you think you've hit rock bottom, suddenly the stones start shifting. Yeah. And you're like, oh no, there's more. Yeah, exactly. Like, Hello, there can't be. Is there? Is there another? Is there another floor below this one? That, that's extraordinary. Surely, yeah. No, that's given way. No, oh, I'm plummeting. Yeah. I'm in free fall. And actually, genuinely, it was it was free fall. And uh, I mean, there was a lot of physical harm happened to other people. Did you steer clear? Were you? Yeah, I was just fat and drunk, and so I was like the least of the school's problems. And then latterly, sort of stoned as well. Yeah, and it was fine. What happened is I left there. I sort of tried to go to college in East Devon. I was de- living down in Devon. Mm-hmm. by then I sort of effectively left home when I was 15 once the wheels really came off age 17 I was living in a in a bed sit and stuff that's when I ended up in rehab for uh, oh. addictive problems which mm-hmm. which ba- were based around my addiction to food mm-hmm. but drugs and alcohol were, were, were a big part of that as well so how old were you then what what age were you then when that happened 17 you were 17. 17 so I've actually God. I've been sober since then uh, so I've actually never had a legal drink in my life. Amazing. That is amazing. That's such a cool thing to uh, yeah, yeah. be able to, yeah. to say. My sobriety, uh, I've been sober for over 30 years now. And I've always thought that when I relapse, it, it ought to be on telly, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. it would be nice. 
By then, I'm pretty confident that Channel 4 will be doing a show called Pro Celebrity Relapse. There's got to um, be something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prolapse and Relapse with Richard Blackwood and Marcus <laughs> Bristol. <laughs> and then everything turned mm. around for me and, and my life started getting great. There was a lot to fix, mm. you know, but it started getting great. After I came out of rehab, I had a some amazing jobs. I worked on an oil rig. I worked as a podium dancer. I worked as a rollerblading instructor. You can't just you can't just gloss over these. Would would you mean podium dancer well, like at clubs when they've got someone just standing there? Exactly that. So I basically after I lost all the weight, um, like I said, my body was like very new to me and very amazing, and I felt great. Mm. I felt really good in my body and. I got really into dance music, early 90s dance music, and it just felt really good to be out and dancing, right? And I wasn't necessarily that great a dancer, but holy shit, I was exuberant. And I couldn't take drugs so because uh, I was already sober, but like I was in this very joyful like celebration mm-hmm. of my body. So when I danced, I took up a lot of space. I was very camp. And very joyful, and I loved it. And I got talent spotted one night and um, got a job as a podium dancer. Like, when I say a job, let's be clear, like, this was never likely to be a career. Did you have any tra- any previous training, or what was it? It was just, as you say, it was just, no, exu- it was just sheer no. exuberance that was just so... Just sheer exuberance. So cool and, you know, like, I was... By then, I was at drama school, and we had dance training there, so... But it was difficult when we were choreographed, which was very yeah. rare. That was difficult for me because I didn't have the, the language of a, of a dancer. Right. But that was okay. Usually it was just like, get up there and do your thing, you know. So when I was at, at um, drama school, and I left the drama school after a year, it wasn't a very good course and da-da-da. And I was staying at my dad's house in London, and dad came back one night, and he sat me down, and he was like, look, you're doing great with this whole rehab thing. <laughs> You're doing great with the podium dancers. I'm glad you're finally doing what you wanted to do. We'd had the what are you going to do with your life conversation. Yeah. And one night he came back and he said, do you want to go and work on an oil rig? And like all podium dancers, I went, ah, it's my dream. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went to the Cromarty Firth in the northeast of Scotland and worked on, on a rig called the Dan Countess. I, I had to conceal from the guys on the rig that I was also a dancer because I felt it might place me at risk. Yeah. I'd open the the hatch. So the legs on an exploration rig, each of them has a hatch so you can sink the rig down to different depths and all the rest Mm -hmm. of it and they're airtight and stuff. So I would open a hatch and go down into the leg and seal it up behind me and practice dancing. (laughs) Yeah. On the rig, yeah. I was living the life of um, Alex, the welder from Flashdance. Uh, <laughs> so you're just dancing in the dark so, yeah. at the base of a, of a leg of an oil rig. Yeah, down the leg of an oil rig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you did all of that. So how, how did you get into comedy? A good friend of mine uh, set, set up the first gig for me. He basically went, I'd failed to get into Central School of Speech and Drama and he said, well, I don't know why you're trying to be an actor anyway. You're shit at it, but you are funny. And um, he set me up with a gig and I 
this is straight from a book, but it is true. I walked off the stage and went, yep, that's it. That's all I want to do with the rest of my life. That's it. Yeah, That's yeah. the thing. The industry, or like all arts, is, is fueled by drink and drugs. And uh, have you found it tricky to navigate, given your sort of three decades no, of sobriety? No, easy, to be honest. I um, Whenever I've been anywhere where there's loads of people who are really drunk, that's been the times when it's been easiest to be sober. Proper drunkenness is really boring and really ugly. Most addicts, I, who knows what other addicts experience, but for me, it's the like, just being with yourself, mm-hmm. just, it's quiet. There's not much to do. That's like, Same. most of my dysfunctional behaviour has has stemmed out of that really, you know? So, no, I've not, I've not found it difficult. And I did, I did eventually do a show about it. I, um, I, I used to say, if you talk about yourself a lot on stage, then you don't read enough. Yeah, all right, Marcus, don't slag me off. You know, if you're the most interesting thing in your life, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. And then after a while, uh, someone, Andre Vincent, said to me, um, mate, come on, as stories go, for fuck's sake, you were a podium dancer while you worked on an oil rig <laughs> and suppl- supplemented that part of your income by uh, being a rollerblading instructor in Hyde Park. Okay, so, well, we didn't even get to that on. part, did we? Well, <laughs> no, but that was that was even more short-lived than the uh, <laughs> right. than the dancing. I just did it for a while. It was just a way of making a bit of money. Sure. And um, when I did find comedy, I was like just locked on target. I so quickly knew what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I would say I'm much more baffled now than I was then and i've been doing this for 20 something years you know i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. (laughs) So around about 2035, you actually did decide to go on one of these shows um, that we talked about earlier about breaking sobriety. Yeah. On national TV. What was the thinking behind that? Well, my agent and I had reached a point where after everything that happened with, with Bake Off and, and Paul Hollywood and all of that... You served him a cake full of shit. Well, it wasn't full of shit. It had, it had, it had, a, it had much more shit in it in the end than, I, than anyone had planned. Mm. Um, yeah, there was supposed to be some in. It was, it was for a laugh. And my agent said, look, Channel 4 are putting together a, a, a show in which a bunch of... Uh, recovering addicts uh, will be put together in a house. Now, as I said to you before we recorded this, I can't say the names of the other people who are on the show. People, can, I'm sure, can can look them up. Mm-hmm. Um, the, only, the only one I, I, I will mention is Sir Anthony Hopkins because he did come out of it very badly. He had, by the time he did it, he had over 50 years of sobriety. And even those of us who were more like... Maybe a bit more. Well, hopefully this will work out okay. Looked mm. at Sir Anthony Hopkins and thought, "This is an odd choice. 
you know, and he was very, very elderly by then. And he'd waived his fee as well. To, to everyone else, it just sounded like he just wanted an excuse to have some crack. I think, I think that's exactly what it was. What I will say about that show is, yes, I do have some regrets about it, but I made mm. some friends. And that, and that in its own way is tinged with regret because, of course, so many of them, sadly, passed away. But Died that on is, the night. You know, yeah. it was well-structured. You know, Beautiful they'd... narrative. Beautiful narrative yeah. to it. It got to the point where you've got a whole studio audience uh, chanting chug, 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 and everyone's chanting chug, 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 and Jimmy Carr's saying That's chug, right. chug, chug. Uh, yeah. And then you didn't. You didn't drink it. You didn't drink anything. I didn't in the end. I didn't. And and that's where the producers and I sort of fell out. And what they did, and I really like this with with, with our show, uh, which was called Chug, Chug, Chug. Um, <laughs> uh, hence the chant that you mentioned. Mm. And they showed just how great many of our lives were, you know, mm. and the, having given up drugs or alcohol or, you know, in some cases gambling addiction they did they by their own admission didn't handle the gambling addicts very well and when i watched a video back of how great my life was and then looked at uh, yeah you know uh, jimmy carr and uh, amongst others that the hosts of the show and and the audience beyond i thought mm. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna down this yeah. and They'd done their research. It was a pint of Southern Comfort they offered me, <coughs> which is, you know, delicious. Absolutely delicious. There's no good having a sort of a heart or head full of, of regret about them. You know, mm. we all we all make the decisions we, we make. and We all make mistakes. And you made a huge mistake in not downing a pint of Southern Comfort, you know. Exactly, exactly. But I look at that now and I think, well... Yes, that was effectively the end of my TV career, but still not as bad as some of the things I did that kept my career on telly going. I worked with Anne Robinson, so, <laughs> you know. I want to talk about the, uh, the later years of your, of your career. You, you, you parted ways with your agent. I believe at one to. point your agent suggested you could uh, try and boost your profile by getting a job as a train driver and then doing a quirky announcement and going viral with that. Yeah, and the, the course, tragedy with that particular thing is that being, people think being a train driver, you sit up the front of the train and hit the brakes when you see a station coming into view, and there's a lot more mm. to it than that. So I did spend 18 months training. Uh, for it, and I did one quirky announcement and was fired. <laughs> I just did a funny voice. I did. I thought it would be funny to do the line down to Exeter St David's in the voice of Kermit the Frog. This train will be stopping at Taunton, Taunton Station, <laughs> and and people and all the people on the train thought was funny voice. Yeah. yeah, they just were like, oh. But as was pointed out to me then, um. Really, the driver for many years now has not made the announcements. So it was, it was more the fact that I had to leave the front of the train to come back to where the announcements are made from that mm. that was the firing offence. Um, hasn't been leaving the, the train un, unsupervised. Leaving the yeah. train, yeah, and and they go at a hell of a lick. Oh, they do go fast. It was that that got me fired. And of course, ironically, having done all that Kermit business, we never did stop at Taunton. We went straight through. <laughs> So, at this point, you're you're sick of of of, of doing these things. Of uh, you know, mm. you 
you decide that actually well i'd done the ladder as well do you remember the ladder bbc one no remind me it was a a series of of ladder literally physical ladders Mm. uh hosted Mm -hmm. by jason manford who i have to say did a wonderful job and did the theme tune for it as well bless him um uh, not a great singer, but a lot of enthusiasm. Oh, terrible singer. Absolutely awful. Yeah, really. But, my God, he stuck at it. All you had to do on the ladder was see how high up a ladder you dared go. Yeah. And so there, there's just, you know, there wasn't much to it. But I'd done that and won it. I won it. Mm. Yeah, you climbed uh, up the whole f- 70, five feet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven rungs. Yeah, um, incredible. It was a lot more than everyone else. But I did. I felt very disillusioned by this time. I felt like... I felt like some of the shows I was doing were maybe not not very high quality. I want to talk about the, the later years of your life. You kind of retreated from, from public life. You, you kind of retraced your steps in a way, didn't you? You almost sort of, you sort of hit middle age and you kind of worked backwards mm-hmm. and you went back through the stages of your life and yeah. um, you did the jobs that you had done when you, were, when you were younger and you ended up at the oil rig, back at the oil rig yep. um, at the age of 85. You, talk, talk me through your experiences. The, uh, the only, <laughs> we used to joke about it, but the, we said at the time, the only thing older than me on that rig was the rig and of course the rig itself should not have been in service at that age Mm. when i worked on the dan countess the first time round, it was about a 30 30 something year old rig so it was older than me then when Mm. i went back uh in in my mid to late 80s that rig was a long way past uh serviceable you Mm. know functioning thing but um but they let us give it a go, and we, um, a team of us, got it back out into the North Sea. Because we got to that point in um, in history where we went, why not oil again? Why not oil again? Yeah, we we had reached that point, and people say, oh, it blew up in my face. Uh, I mean, it did. That project blew up in my face. It blew up in my face, mm. literally. And uh, people often use the term um, "put a spanner in the works." Uh, and that is unfortunately exactly what I did. I, I dropped a spanner and it went into the works. And um, so it was, a, it was a write-off. We didn't find oil. No. I burnt a lot of bridges. Mm. We had to burn a bridge um, uh, that was across the, the mouth of, of one of the firths up there. I forget which one. We had to, had to burn that to get the rig through. Yeah. Um, so all of the things that we think of as metaphors literally came true. And I th- it was then I thought... There's only one sensible way to go here, and that's to return to the Ministry of Sound and see if they'll have me. And of course, they they did. But I they, was fast approaching ninety. Yeah, yeah, they they welcomed you with open arms, and this is actually this is where you died. Is that is that right? It was the last job you you did. Yes. What happened? You were up on that podium, and you 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 just felt the walls closing in on you. Their duty of care. Uh, to a man of my age at that time was to make sure that I didn't die in a dancing accident. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, as a joke, we should be fine provided no one plays rhythm as a dancer. (laughs) And sure enough, track three, rhythm as a dancer, and it was too much. um, Oh, it was like peanuts to someone with a nut allergy. The reaction was instant. Mm. The coroner, when he looked at my body, said several things. He said, it's very hard to know whether it was a coronary that caused the collapse off the side of the podium or the collapse off the side of the podium that caused the coronary. But what he did go on to say, uh, which I thought was the was the more salient point, 
was why on earth was a podium set at that height? Mm. That is a long way. No one on that dance floor could have seen me or anyone at the top of a podium at that height. Oh, you were just a 90-year-old man who died died on his own. Died on his own somewhere near the top of what was, uh, may as well have been Nelson's column. You know, and no, no, it was only, it was only when I came flailing down, ironically, exactly as the lyrics hit, I'm as serious as cancer when I say rhythm is a dancer. Uh, I came flailing down and hit the deck that people even knew there was a dancer up there. Yeah, everyone on the dance floor initially mistook you for an old helium balloon that had finally given up. Look, there are worse ways to go. How would you like to be remembered? Well, not like that. not flailing and screaming and plummeting down into a frankly bemused dance floor bemused not only at the the very rapid descent of a screaming 90 something year old man but Mm. also why on earth they were playing rhythm as a dancer I mean this was 20 the late 20 50s, I think. I yeah, yeah. It must, have, it must have felt like a deliberate attack. But as you were falling, one of the one of your, your last words were, please don't put this in my obituary. Please don't write about this. Yeah, and that should give you some idea of just how high the, uh, the column was, because I had enough time not only to think that through, but to say it, to articulate it before the impact. Please don't put this in my obituary. I think the last words were, please don't put this in my obituary. Seriously, please. I've done so many other, and I didn't manage to get the word things out, but I, I think people knew. Yeah, you were hedging your bets by stepping into a third sentence. But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you had a lot of, you, you had a lot of clarifiers. You wanted, you, you wanted to be remembered in a and a lot way. of speed, a lot of momentum, a lot yeah. of speed. Yeah. Marcus Brigstock, look at what you've done. R.I.P. Marcus Brigstock. You lived a long and varied life and saw many things, most notably the horrified faces of young clubgoers as they watched a greased-up pensioner in a thong fall to his death. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to nose around a comedian's house, take their stuff and see how much money you can make by selling it? No, that's a pretty niche thing, to be honest. Bit creepy, really. But that's the premise of Dave's brand new comedy podcast, Hard Sell, with me, Josh Jones. And me, Darren Harrier. We're going to travel the country, visiting the homes of different comedians, chatting about their spending habits before grabbing one of their favourite possessions and giving ourselves one week to try and sell it for charity in a competition to see who can raise the most money. It's a right laugh as we get to meet amazing funny people like Kima Bob, Joel Domit, Rhea Lena, Ivo Graham, Josh Pugh and lots more. But also sort of like an incredibly stressful cheese dream where we're trying to shift what are essentially stolen goods against the clock. (laughs) It's bonkers. Hard Sell with Josh Jones and Darren Harrier. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. 